Amen. Thank you. One of the greatest hymns ever written. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Just a couple of verses here, 13 down through verse number 16. We've already covered the first 12 verses. He says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they uh, they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins sins alway, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, we do love you. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the service. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified and honored in all that's said and done. Please control what I say, Lord, and how I say it. I pray that you would work on our hearts, Lord. Please, I pray for your mercy, Lord. I pray that your, your word would draw us closer to you. Help me to stay true to it, to stay faithful to it. And Lord, please bless And, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know Christ as Savior, Lord, we certainly do pray for that. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So it's been a month. It's been the last time we were on a Wednesday night here in Thessalonians. It would have been really about exactly one month ago. It was mid-December. Um, so let's, let's, let me just take up just about two minutes here to get us back in context of what we're seeing taking place right now in chapter 2. Um, this is a church, again, started by the Apostle Paul, his second missionary journey. That was where Paul got the, uh, the Macedonian call when he was, he was uh, uh, right by the Aegean Sea there. The call came. He, he heads over into Europe. He establishes the very first church ever in Europe, which is the church at Philippi. That's when he met Lydia. He then cast the, de- the demon out of the young girl. He's thrown in prison over it. And then once he's released from prison, the church, you know, the jailer gets saved. You have the core group that's there. Paul leaves Philippi. He heads to Thessalonica. Not too far down the road, he gets to Thessalonica. And this is where this church begins. It was the second church that was established. This city was a large city. Um, it had about 200,000 in it. And this time frame, that, that's a really large city. It was a trade center. It was on a major trade route. Uh, the pagan road flowed, uh, flowed through Thessalonica. It was a commercial center. Uh, the city is named after the half-sister of Alexander the Great, um, Thessalonica. Um, and that's going back 300 years before Christ when this city was founded. This was the largest city 
of Macedonia. It was the capital city of Macedonia. It had a lot going on there uh, with the port, the agency. The language, of course, would be Greek, very cosmopolitan. It was, but it had an issue. It had a, there was a strong pagan influence. There was immorality. There was, there was a ridiculous crime problem that they had in this city. There was just a lot of sinful, wicked influences that were there. Even the men who controlled the city, I don't think I got into this last time, the men who controlled the city, they were wealthy, they were idolatrous, they were pagan, they, they, and they, they had great influence, this group of wealthy men, but they were very wicked. And so this is that town. Paul comes into it, the capital of it. He, remember, the, the, when you, you can read about the founding of the church in Acts chapter 17. That's Acts chapter 16 is the church at Philippi. Acts chapter 17 starts off when he, he heads to Thessalonica. He was preaching for three Saturdays in the synagogue. And then the Jews there were, were furious. They, they, they had been persecuting Paul. And so they, they get some wicked men together and they, they cause this huge uproar in the city. Um, and, uh, um, and so through this uproar, they head to the house they believe Paul and Silas were staying at, which would have belonged to uh, 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 um, Jason at the time. They, they weren't there. They'd already escaped. They headed down to Berea, where they, uh, was the next stop they had. Then that's when he went down to Athens, from Athens to Corinth. Um, and so that was the setting of this. So they had to leave fairly quickly. He was there probably more than three weeks. We have the three Sabbath days when that event occurred, what he was doing when he was preaching. But remember, he had received an offering from the church at Philippi while he was there. He actually started working his trade while he was there in tent making. All that took place while he was in Thessalonica. And so now he's writing this letter back. This is a church that he is very pleased with. Um, they were very faithful in spite of all the difficulty, in spite of all the persecution they had. They were staying very faithful. He mentioned in chapter 1, we looked at it, they were known for their faith, their labor of love, their hope, and uh, they were an example, he said, for other churches already. So he was very pleased with them. And then he spent uh, uh, the first part of chapter 2 basically reassuring them. There were some people trying to come in and discredit Paul. Paul did not want them to doubt anything they had heard or what they were taught. And Paul reminded them, he said, listen, you know when I was there. You know my manner of life. I took nothing from you. I worked. Um, It it was out of love. There's nothing you could question that I did. And he was reminding them of that, of his own character, of when he was with them. Which brings us now to where we are today. Paul once again comes back in this section of verses and is showing why he's so pleased with them. Why he's thankful uh, uh, for this group of believers, this church that's in uh, uh, Thessalonica. And, um, and we're going to look at that. And he contrasts that. He meets, it's like Paul just changes gears as we were reading. He, he contrasts that with a group who were not pleasing to God. Uh, there was no reason to rejoice with them, but there was great reason to have great sadness and to be sorrowful over the second group um, that he talks about. So he has a contrast here between being pleased and thankful for those in Thessalonica and then yet the contrast here with those who had of those of his own nation, the nation of Israel. And the difference is this, is what we're going to focus on with this message is, how they received the Word of God. How Thessalonica received the God, Word of God has compared to how, for the bulk as a nation and the leadership of Israel, how they received the Word of God. And there was a difference there. One leads to joy and one leads to sorrow. And especially, as Paul stressed in here, those who had great light, 
those who had great spiritual light given to them. Remember when Christ was, was, was in Galilee, he ministered throughout that province of Israel. He really covered during his earthly ministry three years. That's where he performed the bulk of his miracles, going to every town, every village. And he was in Capernaum, which was the middle class of the day, if you will. That's where the university was in Galilee. It was a great place to live. And while he was there, remember what he said. He said, you know what? It's going to be more tolerable for those from Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for those from Capernaum. And the reason was because of the great light they had been given. They saw the miracles. They heard the Son of God preach, yet they chose to reject. There's always a danger. The more light you get, the more responsibility you have. You can think of uh, another person who really comes to mind. If you ever thought about this, think of Cain. Think of how Cain rejected the Word of God. Think of who his dad was, Adam. I mean, Adam walked with God personally. I mean, he's there. He's instructing. He's giving God's word right to Cain. Cain really wants nothing to do with it. There's always a danger. Again, when you have been given great light and you choose to reject it, it's sad. And we see that in our text. It's that of the rejection of truth and the coming wrath as a result. Listen, along, this is still by way of introduction. Don't, don't, don't ever take for granted or squander the privilege you have of hearing God's word, of having it in your hand. There's responsibility that comes with it. Don't take it lightly. And don't lose sight of that awesome privilege that we have been given. <clears throat> and so, what we're going to look at today is we're going, to, we're going to see those who receive the Word of God by faith and the fruit that follows them, and then we're going to compare that to the rejectors. Comparing those who received it by faith and those who rejected the Word of God. So let's get started. First off, we see in verse 13, the faith of those in receiving the Word of God. Verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because that when you received the Word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God. Let's stop right there. So right here, Paul is thank he's so thankful for the church because of, again, how they received it. They believed it. They had faith in the words that were saying that these are actually God's word. And one thing that is amazing about the Bible, I thought about it, uh, about, and there's nothing wrong with that. I thought I'd put it in here, just how amazing and how we know this is the word of God. There's so much to the book, the prophecies, the different authors, all that. All that. But the fact is, it really is self-evident when you read it. You have God's spirit that works on the heart. No other book in the world has that. You, I mean, it's just self-evident as you read it, uh, the power that is in this book. But when they heard Paul preach, they received it as it was in truth, he said, the Word of God. They didn't think this was Paul's theology. They didn't think it was made up. They just didn't think the guy was making some good points. They understood, we are hearing the Word of God. And I, I remember back when, when I got my very first Bible, so excited to have it. Again, I was, what, 12, 13 years old and... And I still, I, I still have the memory of pulling in to the Christian bookstore. It had been the first time in my life I'd ever even been in at a parking lot of a Christian bookstore. I did not go in. I remember my mom went in, and, and, uh, and I didn't even get it in the cars. When we got back home, and then she handed me the Bible in the case. I still, the, the Bible's in my office right now. I mean, how excited I was that I had it. I, I grabbed it, went up to my room, went right into Genesis chapter 1, and just started to read. And just being amazed. I, I mean, this book was different than any other. And, and going through that in Genesis and reading those words. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. 
You know, when that when you didn't grow up that, which don't get me wrong, those growing up in a Christian home have a tremendous advantage. But sometimes familiarity can deaden your Christian life. But as as I would read those different words going through the Bible, it would grab me. I mean, I'd be amazed at what I was reading. I mean, this is how it all started. This is it. In other words, what I was receiving as, without question, it, it never even occurred to me that it wasn't. This is God's Word. The one who did create everything. I'm reading it. Matter of fact, at times, I, because it, it, I, it, I never changed that belief, but there were times that I would read through it, and, and at times I would read things and, 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 and get confused. And get confused. I remember I'd go through some of the epistles and, and thinking, where Paul's writing here, and I had to understand... Okay, this is God's Word, but Paul's writing, and not understanding yet the different doctrines of how the Bible came to be. But I just said, you know what, I, this is God's Word. But you can think of the first time, or maybe when you heard God's Word preached, when you see a principle out of the Bible, not, not the words of men, not, and that's not what I'm dealing with right now, but that's when you really heard God's Word preached, how different it was, how it challenged and how it changed, or how you got mad at it. Because you have two choices, to receive it or reject it. And you're going to notice here, those who have greater spiritual light, the rejection, their response in the rejection is much more violent. It's much more harsh. But you can think of that time when you begin to hear God's word being preached, how it worked in your heart, knowing there's something different, that reading of truth, the power that was there. You see, do you know what makes the difference when it comes to the Bible? Is believing it is the Word of God. Now, for those of you who have grown up, again, our teenagers and whatnot, don't think the Word of God is just another name for the Bible. We're telling you what it is. Think of that. The Word of God. It's not just a name for the Bible. It's what it is. The Creator Himself... What he wants us to know. It's right here. The Bible talks about this. I'll cover these things. A few things I want to give you quickly. I think it will help in regards to the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16. We know that all scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. God breathed. The Bible talks in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse, 20, verse 21. How holy men of God were moved by the Holy Ghost. In other words... The Bible tells us that how God gave it is through this doctrine of inspiration. That these were not the thoughts of the men. He was choosing to use the men and, and, and who the men were. But they were controlled by God. He was using their life, yet giving them by inspiration. It's God's Word. It's infinite. It's without end. It is. Think of how many times... I have no idea how many times I've read through the Bible now. Not, I lost track. I don't know how many. I, I mean, it never gets old. There's something from it every single time. It's infinite. There's no other book like that. There isn't. It's incisive. Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Let me, let me go there. I'm going to mess it up right now. I'm right there. 
For the word of God is quick. That's where I messed up. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Think of that last line. A discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This book, when you see that, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Know what it'll do? It'll convict you. It will. It'll convict you. Uh, uh, this, this book will conquer your heart if you let it. It'll conquer your heart. It's also, and we see that in our text, and I'll, and I'll finish up with that when we get there, but it's also, not only is it inspired, infinite, incisive, it's, it's inescapable. Look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse number 48. Jesus is speaking here and he said this. He said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, a rejection of the word of God, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You're not escaping it. You can take it lightly. You can choose to reject it right now. But I am telling you, you're not escaping it. You will be judged by it one day. That will take place. You can casually dismiss it and think you're fine, but I didn't know ignorance is, ignorance is not going to work. You're not going to be able to get around it at Judgment Day claiming ignorance. That's not going to work. Any more than when, when I was in PNG, Daniels, and do you remember, the, you went with me and I picked up the truck when it came over from the other island. Do you remember when I pulled out, what did I do wrong? Do you remember that? I drove on the wrong side of the road. Immediately. Boom, pulled out the road and I'm on the wrong side of the road. And they drive on the other side of the road there. I did that three or four times when uh, Tracy Tuttle had come for a visit. And we were on the other island. And, uh, and this is an actual bigger town. Like when I started off on the wrong side of the road when I was in Cavian, not a big deal. There's hardly anybody on the road. But now I'm in a town where there's actually a little bit of traffic. And I am, I'm in the middle of telling him about the time that I drove on the wrong side of the road. And I pulled out of the store, uh, a parking lot, and I went on the wrong side of the road. On a divided road with concrete in the middle, so there's nothing I can do about it, but drive against the traffic on the wrong side of the road. Now, let's say it did not happen. Let's say the police stop me, and I have to go stand before a judge. And I tell the judge, and I say, listen, judge, really, you can't judge me for this. I'm from America. We drive, we drive on the right side of the road. Is that right? Yeah, on the right side of the road. <laughs> do you think that would work? No, he tell me? He would say, I suggest you learn the laws of the land you're in. We don't drive on that side here. He would judge me by the standard he has as a judge. That's why it's not going to make a difference to you for those who get before God and going to claim ignorance or anything. It won't matter. So Paul is very thankful how they received the word of God. How they received his word as the word of God, I should say. And then as a result, we see in that same verse, the fruit that followed. They received it by faith, and then you had fruit that follows. Look at uh, back in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Here is the results for those who choose to receive it as the word of God. It is effectual in their life. It changes you. It helps you. Because they believe this is God's word, it began working in their heart. 
Many times God's word isn't effectual in your life, although you might believe it's a title of the word of God, but until you accept the authority that this is the word of God. So what Paul's saying by that is, when he gave it, they believe, okay, this is our creator. This is what we need to do. In other words, they didn't have the discussion, well, I don't really think this applies to us here in Thessalonica. You know, this is not, Paul, you don't understand, this is not Jerusalem. Do you see a monotheistic culture outside your door? You don't, do you? This is Thessalonica. We are the capital of Macedonia. There's paganism everywhere. Certain things you're telling us, Paul, just don't quite apply. Why didn't they do that? Because they did not receive it as Paul's word. It was the word of God. So in other words, what he's saying is what he recognizes when he preached it, they were obedient to it. They followed it. Many times as Hebrews 4 tells Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2 tells us the Word of God isn't effectual in our life because it's not mixed with faith. That ties into us our faith that it is, in fact, the Word of God. God's Word is effectual in your life when it's applied and believed. So you have to receive it as the Word of God. It begins to work in your life, producing fruit in your life. Fruit will follow. And listen, make no mistake about it. There are certain... You know, the, uh, what war do I want to pick? We can pick several. We'll pick World War II. World War II had different fronts that we were fighting. Different fronts that we had to fight that were key. Um, and, and so, in other words, there were, there were different key places in the world where we were facing major battle lines. Those were the fronts where the battles were taking place. It wasn't just one. There were, there were about three key ones. In your Christian life, there are some key battlefronts where there's always going to be a battle taking place. One of them is dealing with your reception of the Word of God. Do you want to know why? Because of how effectual it can be in your life. This will always be a battle in your life. But you have all that you need to win it. Listen, this will get attacked and your prayer life will get attacked. Those are two major fronts that were, there's always going to be a battle for that time. And, and not, just, not just when you read the Bible. All right, that's, part, that's, that's a huge part of it. It is. I am dealing with that. But even when you come to church, yeah, th- throughout the day, how do you receive it? <clears throat> There is power in the Word of God. And there's many ways that it can be effectual in your life. I want to give you a few of them. I've already mentioned 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration God and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching. This is why, if you notice, we've went through several books of the Bible. I went through what, about ten books of the Bible we've already covered. Just going verse upon verse, line upon line. Because you know what I'm responsible to teach you? Is this? Right here. This is why we're going through this. This is why we're going through Acts. This is why we've covered from Matthew, Ecclesiastes, Jonah, uh, um, First Peter, uh, James, on and on and on. I don't think I covered First Peter yet, have I? I don't know. We've covered a lot of them. It's also given to reprove us in that same verse. This is the authority. This is, the, this is what we're to believe as the Word of God. When you do that, you can allow it to reprove you. Or, as it goes on to say, to correct you. To train us in righteousness. The Word of God is also, though, it's a guide for us. 
Thy word is a, is a, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It's a guide in your life. In other words, see, well, how does it guide? How does it do that? There are principles that are here. It's what helps you make right decisions in your life. It's what guides your steps. It's not about following worldly philosophy in those decisions you make in life. The Word of God is what's to guide you. Psalm 119, verse 24, Thy testimonies are also my delight and my counselors. This is to be a counsel to you in your life. Psalm 119, 154. These are different ways that the Word of God can become effectual in our life. It can teach us, reprove us, correct us, guide us, counsel us. It can revive us. Psalm 119, 154. Quicken me according to thy word. It's amazing how God's word can do just that. Again, the difference is, you know, that doesn't do it for me. Then You have to go back to the foundation then. How are you receiving it? Colossians 1.6, it's going to make you fruitful. 1 Peter 2.2, 2, that we may grow thereby. So it's going to help you grow in your Christian life. Psalm 19.11, by them is thy servant warned. It gives you the warning you need for life. John fifteen three, he talks of the vine and the branches. Uh, it deals with his word cleaning us. I can't quote it right now. But it purges us. Psalm one nineteen eleven. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It protects you. It protects you. From Psalm 1, we can think about that, that blessed man that meditates in the Word of God. How he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Tie that in, tie that in going back to Joshua chapter 1, um, in verses 8 and 9. It's the key to you being, to prospering, to have success. Again, I, I, I've mentioned that before. It just sticks out of my mind when I was just diving into the Word of God. This is now, this is now after I've, uh, I, the, the, I, I have the new pastor coming to the church. I'm serving God, and, and, and uh, I've decided every morning to wake up, get in the Bible, and pray. And I, and, and I um, went to the book of Joshua. I started in chapter 1. First time I've ever read the book. Sounded like a really good book to read. So, remember, going Catholic, we didn't bring Bibles or anything like that. And we rarely went. I didn't know any of the things of it. But, boy, getting into Joshua chapter 1 and just thinking. When I got down to verses 8 and 9, I mean, I was just like, wow, look at this. It is what allows you to truly prosper before God. It is what allows you to truly have success according to God. Now let's look at this. Let's look to something that we sing. Psalm 19. Let's go there. I think it sums it up pretty good. Psalm 19. I mean, we think, we put this in context maybe with Joshua. Uh, let me get to Psalms. 
you know, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written then. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Let me get there. And read this now. Verse 7. God's stressing there to Joshua, taking over from Moses, you're going to need to be in this. this. This is what you're going to need. The only way you're going to prosper as a leader, the only way you're going to be successful in this, is if you are meditating upon the Word of God. The book of Psalms starts out with the importance of meditating upon the Word of God, of, of recognizing what you have. And then Psalm 19, we sing, and I, I thought this would be a good one to hit. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony, another, another title for it, of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. What does it produce? Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Boy, that's so not true in our day, isn't it? But yet we read it and we sing it. More to be desired are they than gold. Think about that. More gold. More to be desired are they than gold. Do you know when you'd be able to receive it as such? When you recognize this as in fact, not just in title, the Word of God. More to be desired are they than gold. Than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Today that would say McDonald's quarter pounders and french fries. If it was written today. Moreover, by them, God's word, is thy servant warned. Now get this, in this amazing where it goes now. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. Incredible. Think of what it's describing, of how this book right here can be effectual in your life. How even in our church service, notice what it's centered around. All of our services are centered around what? The Word of God, isn't it? It is. We're not centered around music, are we? That is just to, that is just to assist, to prepare hearts for the Word of God. It's not to be the focus. Because what's going to be effectual in your life in the areas we listen to teach, to reprove, correct, instruct, uh, train in righteousness, to guide, to revive, to make fruitful, to grow, to warn, to purge, to give joy, to protect, to prosper for success. That's how it's effectual. But don't let your familiarity, you lose sight of what you have. You know, I, I, it's been a little while since I've done this. But there are many times that when I felt that I, if it was getting too familiar, when I went to read it, uh, and, I, and if I remember right, I can't really remember because I started this back in my early 20s. 
I think I heard another pastor say this is what he did. I can't remember how it got started. That's how I would guess how I got started on it. And I'll say that. I would stop and, and close it and just have it there and just try and con- remember and meditate on what it is I have. What it is I have. And I'd sit it there in my lap and just remember what I have here. And then I would remember back to the first Bible I got on how excited I was to read God's Word. To open the Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter, and get in there and, 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 and read those words, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Don't let familiarity destroy its effectiveness in your life. Now, so they had fruit that followed. Let me finish up these last ones go quickly. That's the focus of it I've already hit, even though I haven't got to the, uh, the other point yet. I'll cover it very quickly here. They were also, though, faithful in suffering. Look back at that real quick. I, I, don't lose me yet. I, I should be done here in ten minutes. But I want you to catch this. He says this. He says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. Now notice, he's going to give a thought. He's, he's trying to make a specific point of how they were being similar to the churches that were in Judea. And here it is. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So he goes on here how this church stayed very faithful in suffering. Remember, the churches in Judea had it very difficult. Guess who the guy who leading that charge was? <laughs> the guy who's now pinning these words in. We're going through that right now as we go through Acts. If there's anybody who knows how difficult the churches in Judea had it, it's the man pinning these words right now because he's the one that developed the game plan on how to attack the Christians. He was the one going through imprisoning, committing murders. It was Paul before his conversion. They had it very difficult. And he knew that the church in Thessalonica, in that capital city, all the difficulties that they were facing. Listen, we are coming into a day in our nation for the, well, there was, I I can't say for the first time, because there really was some pretty strong persecution early on in our own country, actually. But for the bulk of it, we really are now changing this nation to this humanistic philosophy, this, this move away from God to where suffering will be more and more part of our faith. It will cost you employment. It will cost you friends. I mean, think about it. We are now looked on by a significant portion of our culture in the United States of America, founded on, on biblical principles. Yet those of us who hold to the Bible are now looked upon as the problem of this nation. The, the ones holding things back. The ones who are intolerant. The ones without love. None of that's true. The devil's done a masterful job at blinding people to the truth. So the suffering will come. This church stayed faithful and Paul knew it. He, was, he knew, he said, listen, I know you're suffering. I know it's not easy for you. But man, you're staying so strong. I do want to point out one thing here real quick. Verse 14, for ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God. It's plural. I want to bring something out here because he, he's dealing with a particular region of churches. So I want to, I want to cover this real quick. The, the word church itself means local, visible body. All right? 
this gets confused today, and it does lead to some, some error in doctrine as a, as a result. Um, the word church, it has to be local and visible. It's by definition of it. I can't remember exactly now. It's brought up, I believe it's about 113 times you have it, you have it used. About 102 of those, it's always referring to a local, visible body. You have sometimes when plural is not used, several times actually. For instance, when Paul persecuted the church. All right? People like to jump on that and say, okay, there's just one big church. There is not one big universal church. There are churches. Local bodies. Now, in Christ, we're all one. If you're saved, we're in Christ, we're all one. I'm fine with that. But it's local. The definition of the word is local, visible body. When Paul persecuted the church, that's perfectly appropriate grammar to say it like that. It doesn't mean there's just one gigantic church. There's churches. You say, well, you say, well then how, why did Paul say it like that? Because you would use singular when it applies to all equally. You would not use plural. Let me explain. I mean, you could use plural. It wouldn't be breaking any grammatical structure, but it's more proper to say it like this. Now, I've used this example before. I can use it for anything. The, the, the phone is a great invention. Is that true? I can use that. Why can't it? Because it's true of all equally. If it's true of all equally, you can use singular. It applies to that concept, to what you're talking about. <clears throat> that would not mean, some will take it to another extreme, you can get into different doctrines we call even briders, in which we would completely, we would reject that. And that'll be a whole other lesson. If you have questions on that, we'll get into that and we'll, we can just tear into that. All right, let's see here. Um, I might... No, now I can finish up very quickly. The rejectors. Let me just cover those of Israel very quick here. It says, Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Now, so now he changes gears here dramatically. I mean, he makes a strong contrast between those who were pleasing God, those he was thankful for, to the nation of Israel right here, who has rejected the word of God. This, this, he gives us some characteristics of the rejectors of who have been given great light. He, he, he talks about their persecution, how they, how they would kill the prophets, they would persecute, they, they killed the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, how, did the, how did Israel receive the word of God? They killed the Lord. That's what they did. They rejected it. They killed their prophets. It was rejected. So they persecuted. That was a characteristic of rejectors who have been given great light. They also prevented. They were contrary to all men. They opposed the spreading of the gospel, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles. So they try and hinder the work of God. They try and persecute. They try and hinder. They try to persecute. They try to prevent. And boy, we can see that now in our nation as hatred is going towards God as they reject it. In our nation, much like Israel, has been given great light. Great light. And so you can expect that when the rejection, as it's coming in now, it's going to be with, with, with violence. It's going to be strong. It's going to be intense. <clears throat> And it says, as a result, they have prepared for themselves wrath. The last part of verse 16, he says, 
to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Here we see that there's a prepared wrath. They persecute, they're prevented, but there's also a prepared wrath for those in this condition. As a result of their rejection and their fighting, they're filling up their cup, which is a scary thought, by the way. It is. That, that sometimes we wonder why God allows you know, different things and sins to take place and go on like it was taking place here. He said, no, no. He's simply allowing a cup to fill up. That's what he's doing. The cup's going to get to a point, though, when it's full. And to that point, God says, now's the wrath. In other words, it's, if, if you can get the image here, it's God saying, okay... He sees the rejection and how it is. You know, he says, no, I, I'm going to let it continue that way until it gets to this point, and I'm going to release this wrath. God allows your sin. Many times you get to a place where you simply had enough. God's spirit will not always strive with man. Let me finish by quoting from one commentator on this, how it dealt with present tense in relation to the nation of Israel here in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he said this. It, says, we're, it speaks of ha- having come already to wrath. He says, The use of the arrow to his tense, I believe, affirms something that is inevitable and so certain that it can be spoken of as if it already come to pass. First of all, he could be referring to the tremendous sweeping devastation and massacre of 70 AD. But more than that, he's talking about a final eschatological wrath when they face the God whom they have rejected as individuals. The kind of sin they're committing here is the kind of sin that is not just associated with a military defeat. It's associated with an eternal damnation. It's reminiscent of John 3.36. I think you're familiar with that. He that believeth not uh, the Son of God... Um, somebody quote it for me. He that believeth on the Son hath life. He that believeth not the Son of God hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It's present tense. There will come an eternal... Oh, let, me, let me jump back up here. So what is Paul saying? He goes on. All the prerequisites for future eternal damnation have been met. The cup is full. You have come to the limit of your sin, murdering the Messiah, murdering the preachers. There will come a temporal judgment in the destruction of Jerusalem. There will come eternal judgment as individuals in, uh, to you as individuals in the destruction, the unending destruction of hell. Very true. So he said those rejectors, although they, they don't see it, they don't realize the wrath is there. There. So you see the one group here that you can Paul could rejoice over, they received it as the word of God. When they received it, it was just rejected. Rejected. So as we close, how do you receive the word of God? It can be so effectual in our life. Let's remember what we have here. Be thankful for it. Don't let it become too familiar in your life. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask this question. Think about this. If you're to die right now, where would you go? Because remember, God is going to judge you. You will stand before Him in judgment. He will judge you based upon His laws we even read about tonight. And you've broken it. And all those who are found guilty are cast into a lake of fire. Something has to happen where you look perfect. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. That's why God became a man to make you look perfect. 
to literally take your place in judgment, to have your sin placed upon him so he could give you his perfect righteousness. Is there any here say, Pastor, please pray for me. I have been struggling with my salvation. I need you to pray for me. Will you just raise your hand for me real quick? Anybody here like that? I see some small children is all I'm seeing. If you did raise your hand, I missed it. All right, Christian. If the Lord worked on your, your heart tonight, why don't you come and pray? Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.